Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Triangle, Episode 9. Dirty Money, Here's How to Clean It, a novel by Ed Adams. Meet the Russians. At the Martinez, Amelia waited for the doorbell of room 731 to be answered. Apart from the entrance lobby, there was no particular clue as to the type of place she was about to enter. As the door opened, she walked into a huge apartment. This may be a hotel room, but it was achingly expensive. The person opening the door was a tall, dark-suited, blonde-haired woman. Please stand here, Miss Brophy, she said, gesturing to a large area just inside the room. The area contained a conference table for around six people and a set of doors leading out onto a sunlit balcony. The curtains in the window fluttered lightly, indicating the doors were already open. The room was chilled from an air conditioning set low. Two men stood up from their comfortable chairs further into the room. One wore a dark suit, white shirt and dark tie. The other a black leather three-quarter length jacket. We need to ensure you are not carrying any form of weapon or any other form of listening device, said the woman. Her accent was strong and her voice quite low. It reminded Amelia of a Russian accent, but she could not be sure. The leather-jacketed man spoke. I'll be using an electronic sweeper to check you, he said. He reached to an aluminium case and retrieved a large, electrically operated device with a large flat surface about half the size of a sheet of A4 paper. He clicked the device on, saying, You are not carrying weapons or surveillance, then you have nothing to fear. Amelia was used to this type of reception and knew that they would not find anything because she had considered it too dangerous to carry anything to this group. She also noted the Russian's technique for searching and sweeping her and realised that this was an effective looking but ultimately unsophisticated security. She mentally scored the man's technique and considered him to have professional training for his role but not to a very high standard. Well, Ms. Brophy, said the second man, wearing the elegant suit. He had a stronger Russian accent typical of the inhabitants of Moscow. We have someone you should meet. The woman opened another door at the far end of the long apartment. The room was in three major sections. They comprised a meeting area, a sitting area, and then an office area. Alone, this was three or four times the size of the room Amelia had in the Carlton. A flat screen television was switched on with no sound in the comfortable seating area. A program in Russian was playing, which looked like a news report. At the far end of the room, another set of curtains billowed. There was another set of doors onto a balcony. The woman gestured to her to go onto the balcony. It was a large decked area, easily big enough for a reasonable sized party. A large oval wooden table was in front of her, big enough to seat six or eight people. At the table sat a deeply tanned man in his mid-forties. He was wearing an open-necked shirt, and Amelia could see the glint of a heavy golden chain around his neck. Ah, Miss Brophy, he started. It is very unusual to meet employees of your type, but then... It is unusual for these type of employees to need to do the same job twice. I think we both understand one another. Amelia nodded. She didn't want to get more drawn into this discussion than necessary. There were sometimes reasons to remain ignorant of certain situations. She knew the balcony was exposed. She was seven floors above the ground in a corner of the hotel. From the corner of her eye she could see the large white roof lettering spelling Martinez. The penthouse complex she was in was under the last few letters of the huge sign. So, Miss Brophy, we have decided to give you the chance to complete the original job. I believe you will have seen the papers, which give more comprehensive information about our target. 
Please make sure you complete the assignment this time, and now look up behind you. Amelia looked up in the air again, back towards the sign. She noticed something on the Z. It was a point of red light. The tan man raised an arm. The red dot of light started to move slowly along the outline of the Z, and then down the building. It then traced a path towards her and finished on the middle of her chest. She knew it was a laser sight, and she recognised it was on a high-performance weapon a long way away. She realised it was on a yacht, either in the expanse of the Mediterranean Bay before her, or else in the harbour across to the left, looking out from the hotel balcony. It appeared to be stabilised too, so from expensive kit, or with a very cool hired hand. I see you have noticed my little exhibition, said the tanned man. I know you know what this is. Today I am simply making a point. In a week, if I don't see the conclusion of our project, then the point I make may be somewhat sharper. We do understand one another. Amelia understood only too well. She had walked into a Russian crime syndicate, and they were now asking her to complete her assignment to kill Jake Lambers, or else she would be killed after a further week. The fact that the Russians had found her so easily suggested that even with her skill at becoming invisible, it was implausible to believe that she could stay hidden from this Russian group. I understand, and I've already researched a repeat visit, she replied. Well then, let me bid you a good evening, responded the Russian. Cannes are remarkably pretty for this time of year. The sunset will be very soon across behind those hills. In the last few moments, as the light turns to evening, it is something spectacular to see, continued the Russian. I shall look at the sun setting on my way back to my hotel, responded Amelia, as she made her way back towards the door to the penthouse. As she stepped back from the balcony decking, she noticed the way through to yet another area of the apartment, via a gate to a balcony garden where two tanned, streamlined women were sitting in what appeared to be a hot tub. This was certainly opulent and costing thousands of dollars per evening. She nodded to the two men and then briefly met the eyes of the woman as she walked back to the exit from the room. She pointedly walked back to the stairs and then down the single flight back to the sixth floor, directly into her room. She opened the door theatrically and closed it again, still outside of the room, then slipping quickly around a corner and on towards another set of service elevators. She had no idea whether anyone would be fooled that she had gone into the room, but she thought it would add some confusion if she was being followed. In addition, she now found a way back out of the hotel via the service elevator. She had noted that the penthouse gave a perfect view of the hotel entrance, filled with expensive cars. By not visibly leaving, it would give the Russians something to think about and for them to inv inevitably investigate her apparent lodging at this hotel. She removed the jacket she'd been wearing as she walked and dropped it into a roadside bin. She made her way back to the Rue d'Antibes, which is the main shopping thoroughfare in Cannes. As she approached the first department store, she selected a new mountain gear-style outer coat and an oversized check shirt. She also picked up some miniature binoculars and a few other camping accessories, along with a black backpack. Ten minutes later, she was back on the Rue d'Antibes, walking towards the Carlton, wearing the new outer garment and carrying the backpack. As with the Martinez, she was able to find a non-public way back into the Carlton, this time through a side door, which led towards the kitchens. The door was propped open and looked as if it was a way for hotel employees to get outside to smoke during working hours. She followed the corridor inside, which had rubber bumpers along it, presumably because it was used to take large containers out to be picked up by trucks. She gently clicked through a sprung door and found herself back in an area of high decoration with ornate pictures on the wall. 
It was clearly part of a conference and meeting area of the hotel. She traced through this area and found herself back in the main bar area, then through a lobby to the main elevator and back to her room. The diversion, shopping expedition and unorthodox re-entry to the hotel had cost her time and she realised she only had around 10 minutes to disarm her computer and preventing it sending a violent request to eBay. As Amelia arrived at her room, she searched for her room key, suddenly worrying she may have left it in the discarded jacket. After a few moments of misgiving, she remembered she had transferred it to the backpack. She opened the door, crossed the room to the laptop computer, pressed cancel, then sleep. She gently unplugged the computer's connections and placed it, along with the mains adapter, into the rucksack. Amelia briefly flicked through the other bags she had left in the room earlier, selecting a few small items and then, carrying the old holdall back in one hand and with the new rucksack on her back, she left the room. Back at the Martinez, the Russian with the leather jacket had been watching from the rooftop. After ten minutes of looking, Amelia Brophy had not emerged. There's something wrong, he said. Amelia Brophy's still in the hotel. His colleague in the suit made his way via the stairs to the ground floor. He looked around the lobby, restaurant and bar and then approached reception. Excuse me, my colleague was to call me but I've forgotten his room. I'm in room 729 with my other associate in room 731. The person I'm trying to contact is Miss Brophy. The receptionist looked down. They would not typically give out room numbers but the special guests in rooms 729 and 731 had met a wide range of visitors over the last few days. Room 610, the receptionist replies. Shall I connect you? No, that's fine. I will visit her instead. He walked back towards the elevators and called on his mobile. Brophy is still in the hotel. She has a room. There was a pause. This is wrong. Finish it, said the voice. The neatly dressed man walked into the elevator, selected six and started the ascent. He walked to the room and then passed it. He quietly pulled a sleep pistol from underneath his jacket. He quietly added the screw-in silencer and removed the safety catch. Now he retrieved a golden-coloured key from his wallet and inserted it into the lock. A small green light flashed. The door was opened. He slipped through the door into the dark room. He let the door close, but he had already flipped the deadlock so that the door stayed ajar but ostensibly closed. He allowed a few seconds for his eyes to adjust to the low lighting because the room was in darkness with the curtains drawn. He could see that Brophy was in the bed, an easy shot. Without waiting, he fired four rounds, three to the body and one to the head. The shots were almost silent, but the smoke and feathers created a cloud in the room. He quickly retreated, fearful that the smoke alarm would be activated, and even worse, the sprinklers. A few steps later, he was back at the stairwell. The room's door was closed, a do not disturb sign hanging outside. It should give until the next day before discovery. He returned briefly to room 731. It's done. Do you want me to make the arrangement for Lambers as well? Ten minutes later, he, along with his colleague in the leather jacket, were in a chauffeured S-Class Mercedes on their way to Nice Airport. They both held Belgian passports for this part of their work. (laughs) 